They say that even bad press is good press. But what if the press doesn't focus on the movie, but on everything behind the camera, and some of the actors don't even do the press tours, causing even more bad press? Still good? Well, maybe not. But we're here to prove to you that Don't Worry Darling is not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And we've got an interesting one here because this is a film that I'm not going to lie. I was surprised when the 2023 Razzie nominations came out that this film did not receive a single nomination and I think that's probably mostly because of a lot of the press surrounding the film that's because we are talking about don't worry darling and here to join us on this episode is my darling wife Carrie Carrie how are you doing today (laughs) I see what you did there right don't worry darling (laughs) don't worry darling it's gonna be okay we're gonna get through this movie well if it's anything like the movie in real life, I am a little slightly concerned. Yes, actually. So now before before we get into this, I'm going to ask you because you know we had talked about it and put this movie on our on our radar and then we watched it. Um, should I be apologizing to you for putting this on your radar? No, you know what? I actually really enjoyed it. I just I don't think that I had enough of anything to follow (laughs) it. Um, There were times where I got lost, but aside from that, and I do have questions, but we'll get there. I actually really, really like this movie. I, I, I wanted to watch it a third time. I feel like the geek squad right now. You got questions. We got answers, but that's okay. I'm going to need a whole lot of answers here. (laughs) Well, here's hoping that we have the answers that you're looking for, or at least are able to shed a little bit of light on things. But before we go down this road, before we tackle Don't Worry Darling, it's time to take this film and trailerize it. In a post-pandemic world, where people spent years watching the news and asking aloud, what the hell is going on here? Olivia Wilde presents a movie where you will stare at your screen and ask aloud, what the hell is going on here? Florence Pugh stars in Don't Worry Darling, a title that sounds less like a plot description and more like something she was probably told a million times on set. She plays Alice, a happy homemaker in the 50s. Or is she? She's married to Jack, a hard-working company man trying to make an ideal life for his wife. Or is he? Together, they live in Victory, California, a self-contained company-owned community where people live an idyllic lifestyle. Or do they? Look, we can go on like this for days. Just smoke something or pop an edible and start drawing doodles until they make sense for two hours. The Infinite Monkey's rule states that eventually, you'll figure it out. Don't worry, darling. Rated R. For roadmap needed to make sense of everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because it's true. (laughs) Especially the edible part because, yeah, there were times where I was like, wow, 
I am just not not in the right mindset for this. Now, I'll I'll be honest, but before we get into like you know every you know who's all in this and whatnot, there was an era where movies would come out and you sat there and you stared at it, and afterwards you're like, what the. did I just watch? Then you go back and watch it again, and you were more enthralled with the um, the je ne sais quoi of the film as opposed to things being cookie-cuttered out. This felt like one of those films. Absolutely, and hence it, it deserved a third watch. And fourth and fifth, because you're still trying to figure it all out. But let's get into who's in this film. The film stars Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde, Chris Pine, Gemma Chan, Kiki Lane, and others. However, there is an almost starring in this one. And I'm going to go with the tame ones first here, because there is one where there's a hashtag involved, and it ain't pretty. But let's get into the tame ones here. In the role of Margaret, as played by Kiki Lane, the girl that that completely loses her mind and looks like she kills herself, mm-hmm. that was supposed to be played by Dakota Johnson, but she had to step out due to um, you know scheduling conflicts, and Kiki Lane stepped in and take that role. Also, in the role that Florence Pugh played as Alice, it was originally supposed to be. Olivia Wilde, the director, but then she saw Midsommar and cast Florence Pugh into the film, uh, and then giving herself the the role of Bunny as a, a bit more of a side character. Now, this is where it gets messy. Apparently, in the role of Jack, as played by Harry Styles, it was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> but here's the thing so apparently olivia wilde wanted harry styles right off the bat to be in the role but then he's like no i can't do it i got all these touring commitments and then she cast shia labeouf and then the touring commitments got put on uh, you know stop because of the pandemic and then you know there was this whole thing where you know, she said that Shia LaBeouf was fired. He said she, he, uh, he was never fired, and then he walked away from the production. Um, there was uh, apparently a, a video that was put out with a hashtag, don't, you know, time's up, Olivia, where she's, like, begging Shia LaBeouf to stay on the project. Like, it got messy, and it's messier that Olivia Wilde was actually in a relationship with Harry Styles at the time shortly after or somewhat during it's still not quite sure uh her breakup with jason sudeikis uh who was her husband at the time so much so that olivia wilde was served the divorce papers from jason sudeikis while she was presenting an award on stage fascinating like when i say there's a ton of bad press about this film and it has nothing to do with the actual film itself like this is young in the restless level drama that was going on and then of course uh florence Pugh um didn't want to do any press for the film because she felt that a she felt disrespected and b she felt like all the attention was being put on the sexuality of alice and florence Pugh having sex scenes in this film like like it got messy i can see that um so so much to unpack there um first of all i i had no idea that um olivia wilde and harry styles were 
in a relationship during the filming? Yeah. Or so apparently, that- and, and again, we're not experts. We're not Hollywood insiders. We are Canadian idiots in a basement <laughs> with a microphone. So take everything um, that we say with a Wikipedia-sized grain of salt here. But so Olivia Wilde was married to Jason Sudeikis. That marriage dissolved, and around the same time, uh, Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles started a relationship while they were on set um, filming this movie. Filming this movie. Uh, and it was around, you know, the, shortly after the film was done being filmed that the, the, the divorce papers were served by by the the guy who serves the papers while she's on stage heading an award. Now, Jason Sudeikis, to his credit, has said he had nothing to do with the timing of the serving of the papers and that if he had any inclination that he would have said, no, 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 that's not cool. But it's it's messy. And right now... Two years after that relationship started, Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles are apparently no longer together. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally disagree with being served papers. Like, I mean, she was working. She was in the public eye at that time. That's about as low class as the Will, Will Smith slapdown. But the thing right? is, it happened around the same time and it brought up the conversation again about, you know, people being able to just walk up on stage while someone, while a star is on there and doing their job in a very, for lack of a better term, in a vulnerable position. They can't really clap back at the time or, or at least, you know, fend for themselves. They're on camera in front of an audience. What are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah, not, that's it's not cool. Not cool. It's Low not class. Cool. Um, the film, of course, was directed by Olivia Wilde. It's it's from a script that was on the 2019 blacklist, and it was this was shortly after uh, she directed the film Booksmart, which was uh, very well received by critics. Now there are a lot of awards and nominations for this film, so let's get through the good first. It was nominated for Outstanding Original Score for a Studio Film at the SCL Awards. It lost to the movie Nope. Production designer Katie Byron and costume designer Ariane Phelps were nominated for multiple awards, so kudos to them. At the MTV Movie and TV Awards, Florence Pugh was nominated for Best Performance in a Film. She lost to Top, uh, Tom Cruise for Top Gun Maverick. And Harry Styles was nominated for Best Villain at those awards. He lost to the Scarlet Witch herself, Elizabeth Olsen, for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. At the Venice Film Festival, uh, the Fan Heart 3 Award, this movie won the Graffetta d'Oro for Best Film. At the People's Choice Awards, Harry Styles and Florence Pugh were both nominated for Drama Movie Star. They lost to Austin Butler for Elvis. But the movie was the winner of the drama movie of 2022 at those awards. At the Women Film Critics Circle Awards, Olivia Wilde won the Courage in Filmmaking Award. The movie was also nominated for Best Movie by a Woman. It lost to Sarah Pauly for uh, Women Talking. And the movie was nominated for the Adrian Shelley Award. Again, it lost to Women Talking. However... At the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle Awards, this film won the most disappointing film award, beating out only one other film. That movie was Babylon. So a little bit of you know good and a little bit of bad. 
I fully agree with the costume designers and um, the production designers. They did a phenomenal job in making this film and the 50s setting of the film work really well. Completely agree with that. Um, However, at the box office... Now, I'm going to put the asterisks on this one here because, of course, it came out in 2022. And this is when people are just starting to get back to the theater. So, of course, you know, films are not necessarily doing as good as they used to do back in the day. However, on a $20 million budget, according to IMDb, this film made a worldwide gross of $87.6 million. When it debuted on the September 23rd, 2022 weekend, it debuted at number one with a total of just over $19 million. It beat out The Woman King, which was in its second week. There were no other debuts except for the re-release of Avatar, which it itself made $10.5 million good enough for third place. But the reason why we are here, the critic score. Over at Metacritic, this film has a Metascore of 48 and over on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score is 78%, but the tomatometer is 38%. So you are literally looking at a 50 point, no, sorry, 40, math is hard, a 40 point swing as far as the critics to the audience. Where is this film for you before we get into the breakdown of it? You know what? I agree with the audience. I think um, I think the critics missed the mark on this one. I don't know if I'd go as far as 78%, but there's definitely a lot. It's just nowhere near a 38%. And of course, that's why we're here because the film is not that bad. But let's get into the breakdown here. I do have a question. Would you have it top 50? <sighs> I, I think I would put it around maybe a 68 I have maybe even 70. I do I do have some questions and some <laughs> plot holes. I have many questions. Right. <laughs> um, you know, but I do think there is a lot to be said for this film. So let's get to this here. Let's start with Florence Pugh herself playing Alice. How was she for you? Oh my God. She was fantastic. She was so, so great. Um, I absolutely loved, like she was incredibly believable. Um the flashback scenes or I don't even know if I want to call them flashback scenes or the scenes where she became very aware that she was not living in the really real world. For the record, by the way, and we should put <laughs> this out there right now. We're going to spoil this like a mofo. And I know it's not that old and uh, old a film. However, uh, it's out there for you to watch. If you're in Canada, you can right now watch it on Crave. I'm not sure where you can watch it in the States. Uh, go find a copy of this film or find a streaming service that has this film and and definitely watch it because there, there there's some definitely interesting points in this film. I completely agree with you. Florence Pugh killed it in this film. Uh, I'm so happy it wasn't Olivia Wilde in that role because I think, I mean, Olivia Wilde plays a very strong character in this, in Bunny, especially when you realize her motivations for being there. I think Florence Pugh brings a perfect element of vulnerability to Alice as her world is starting to collapse around her. Absolutely. There was a certain... There was a certain strength to her, and even um, when she was trying to act normal in the social settings, there was always kind of like that underlying, 
I, I don't know if I want to call it sarcasm, but there was kind of like, almost like she knew when to, when to flip the switch, you know, she knew <laughs> like, but even though, you know, she, she would be pretending to live this extravagantly, um, pampered, privileged life. And yet she, like, she just, she just knew it wasn't quite right. That mm-hmm. something wasn't mm-hmm. quite right. Yeah. And she and Jack um, feel like that that young, almost newlywed married couple, you know, still without kids and, you know, still, still, let's be honest, still having that honeymoon sex all over the place, right? But it almost feels like she feels like she's playing dress up in this community because everyone is in this prim, proper, Pleasantville style 50s attire living in the middle of the desert that's going on. Like, and it, she feels like someone who, you know, appreciates where they are, appreciates the, the life that Jack is trying to build for her. And she's doing her best to fit in. And then, of course, when things start to unravel at the seams, it's almost like, well, why why am I trying to fit into this idealistic lifestyle, quote unquote, when clearly the the edges are frayed? I almost want to parallel it to WandaVision. A a lot like that, yeah. Where she's very self-aware that something's not quite right. I mean, in, in WandaVision... Like, it's a world that she created. This one, maybe not so much, but she is very much aware that something is not quite adding up. I love dun, dun, dun. I love the fact that you mentioned WandaVision because it's almost like there's a role reversal here. Yes. So Jack has kind of created the world for her to live in and she's not exactly sure if the world is real. Whereas it's very much gender swapped in WandaVision. It was kind of like when Vision Yeah, started to question started everything. To realize, yeah. Exactly. And started to really ask the questions and tear apart the the fakeness of the world that they're living in at the time trying to figure out what is real and what isn't and then you really start to question the um not so key players like in this particular case her group of friends um you know the the boss of the company the basically the creator or um how would you exactly say his role? Because he's not the creator. No, he's, dun, he's, dun, dun. he's not. He's not the creator, but he's very. OK, so let, let me try and draw some parallels here. Now, Olivia Wilde came out and said that when she was making this film, she was drawing from two specific movies for, for lack of a better term, inspiration, Inception and The Truman Show. The Truman Show is, I think, a very, a very apt thing because in that movie Jim Carrey's Truman is the only person who doesn't realize that the world around him is fake everyone else is playing roles and he sees the you know he starts to get this inclination that the world around him isn't necessarily what it's supposed to be there are other movies out there that um made me draw other parallels to I think WandaVision is a perfect parallel for this the other movie that came to mind for me was Surrogates, uh, starring Bruce Willis. A phenomenal freaking film. And I know, unfortunately, that film qualifies. But on the upside, that film qualifies. And I'm looking forward to going down that road here. But the thing with Surrogates is that people would 
hook themselves up into this contraption and their consciousness is downloaded into a, a a surrogate body so they can go out and live whatever life they want they can do whatever the hell they want and it doesn't matter because they're still at home lying in this bed with this contraption all hooked up to them so whatever happens out there it ain't real it's only happening to their surrogate here and this is where the spoilers start okay because the world that they're in is this victory california in the desert kind of city it's more like westworld and you know as as far as chris pine's character he's more like the you know the guy who made Westworld. He he's more of that. You know the the guy who basically does the voice of the Watcher in What If. That guy whose name unfortunately I cannot remember right now. So apologies, apologies. I am a sieve. But if you compare, you know, if you compare this movie to Westworld and Surrogates as as kind of a combination of the two, I, and yes, with a little bit of Truman Show, maybe even a little bit of Inception thrown in. They're pulling from a lot of very, really good sources for inspiration. I don't even know if Circuits was even on their radar, but I think Westworld might have been. Even some Pleasantville, like just watching it, it was very much like mm-hmm. this takes place in Pleasantville. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, Pleasantville, of course, was, you know, they were sucked into this black and white TV show. Again, very WandaVision, right? Um, and the things that they do in that quote unquote show actually affects the world around them. And that's why the color starts to pop, uh, throughout the movie in Pleasantville, the more the color pops, the more the, um, the television series reality of their experience is falling apart here very much. Um, so let me, let me try and explain as best I can. What the f- is going on in this film here? So, the whole the majority of the the first part of the film is you know they're in this desert town and called victory they're working for the victory company all the while florence p was having these like weird flashes and visions and stuff like that and it turns out that where they are in victory is not really real what it is is Jack in the in reality uh, and Alice are together in reality. She's a nurse. She's working like 30 hour days, sleeping for like three hours, then going back and working more. But she for some reason, she likes that. Um, But Jack feels left out. Jack feels like he's not contributing anything. And all he wants is, you know, he wants his wife he wants he wants to be able to contribute he want he wants to feel like and this is going to sound really sexist here so just understand that i'm i'm talking about a fictional character here he wants to be quote unquote the man and whatever that means he wants to be the one in charge he wants to be the he wants that 50s era lifestyle so he basically signs her up you know without her knowing to be part of the victory project which is basically these neurosensors that are attached to her eyes and she's like comatose in bed while her mind is in this 50s world and he's there with her like they're connected kind of thing but the movie itself feels more like a a story of 
male control over women and the the fallibility of that. I see it differently. I would love I to. I'd see, love to hear your take on this. I see it that okay. So so yes, I I agree with your viewpoint, but it's also the turnaround and it's the I don't know the innate woman's instinct or the intuition that something is not quite right. Mm-hmm. And I found that um, Alice like was extremely um, a strong female character. Mm-hmm. Like she was, she was strong enough that she would go up against um, the, the, the boss of the victory company. She mm-hmm. found herself going to the headquarters where you where know, you're not supposed to you go. You are not yeah. supposed to go. And she was, um, she had no hesitation to start to question things and start to call it out uh, in front of, you know, everyone really at, at, at a dinner party at her place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yes and no. Um, I, I also, I, I was kind of confused because I wasn't sure if she actually was hating her reality and that and this was like a gift that Jack tried to give to her that in this world of victory in this you know created sense she didn't have to work and she could you know go and spend her day by the poolside or doing ballet which now that we're talking about ballet, I just have to say how incredibly brilliant it was that many of her flashbacks or her um, almost like she would have moments of panic mm-hmm. um, and they would be beautifully uh, choreographed ballet routines. And I think it's so poignant that was it not the ballet instructor was also the wife of... And I'm so sorry, I forget his name, but the boss of Chris Pine, yes, Chris Pine, Chris Pine's character, um, Captain Frickin' Kirk. Okay, <laughs> so I, I knew that I, I recognized him. I just, you know, <laughs> um, what, what was his character name though? Oh, that was Frank. Frank. Okay, yeah. so let's call him Frank. Um, but yeah, so Frank's wife was the ballet. Mm-hmm. Uh, instructor, but, but the whole the whole thing about the Victory Corporation, quote unquote, at least in the real world, and and then versus the 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 Victory Fifties world, is that the idea is that this company is, for lack of a better term, empowering men to take their 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 wives back, kind of thing. So all the women in the film are like this is the life that they're being created to lead by being hooked up to these these sensors these neural sensors and you know when the men leave for the day they they have the ability to kind of go in and out where the women that most of them haven't even signed up for this willingly some some did but i think the most horrific part was the neighbor oh buddy um who lost her child yeah that's that's buddy it's played by olivia wilde and then started to go quote unquote Everyone thought she was going crazy, but you know what? I think much like Alice's character, she saw it for what it was. Well, the thing right? is, and they tried to. Yeah, the thing is, Bunny 
went in there of her own accord because by being in that world, she she lost her husband, she lost her kids. So the only way for her to be with her kids is to be in victory. So she's living this fake life because she can't bear the thought of being in a reality without her children. I, I think actually we're talking about a different character. I'm talking about the woman who was walking around with the plane. Not, oh, not okay. Bunny. Okay, no, no, no. That was Margaret. It's played by Kiki Lane. And the one who eventually yes. slit her throat and fell off the roof. Yeah, so, so... But again, with that said, there were those gentlemen in the red jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. That the minute that the women started to question their quote-unquote reality or their place mm-hmm. here in uh, in Victory, um, California. It was, it, was, it was almost like, let's find a way to silence them. And yeah. they had a crew for that. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things in this where you have to sit there and you, you almost have to really try to figure out, well, how does this work? And once you realize that Victory is a fictional... Um, virtual Westworld style world that they're living in it's are the are the people in red parts of the program and this is their visualize visualizing way of getting people out of the neural link so that it makes sense for the rest of the people in the virtual world you have to think that these people are hooked up to a server and this like everyone in in this town is connected to the same server so how does a computer generate a way for the disappearance of someone being taken off the link? How does that make sense to everyone else without really breaking the reality of it for them? Well, they kind of did that at the end, though, with Alice coming back mm-hmm. after she had disappeared. Yeah. Right. And, you know, as far as everyone knew, she just kind of went crazy, needed a bit of a timeout in, you know, in care. Right. Right. Um, and, and and then she came back, and I think that in and of itself was it was a it was a risky move, right? Because obviously she knows. Yeah. She has. I mean, even before she she left, even before she, before she was taken away, and Jack sent her away, um, she knew that something was not quite right. Once right. she figured it out, she came back. Well, I mean, here's the thing. So <laughs> you, you have to remember, too, that that whole scene where she's getting like electroshock to the head kind of thing. It's real, but it's not. Right. So these the these neural links are attached like around her eyes and connected to her temples. So you have to think that the Victory Corporation, you know, through the server are sending these electric impulse, uh, pulses through the server link into her, her neural patterns and basically trying to shock the the memory of everything that was happening out of it. So they're, they're basically trying to reboot her system remotely through these sensors. And this is, again, what the, the virtual world, the, the imagery that it's created to make it make sense mm-hmm. in a very weird and, you know, very shocking kind of way. And then it makes me wonder if the neighbors or the, the people in this virtual world, if they actually know each other in the outside world or if they're complete strangers. No, they're, they're, they are, unless, unless they were married, like, you know, Alice and Jack, right? Um, 
they're complete strangers to each other. They they're just people on the same server. I I wonder though, and again, I draw back to the ballet. Um, but remember, that's connection. not that's not real though. None of it's real. No, I know it's not real, but it makes me wonder if there's more significance in Alice's deep embedded memory. Because, I mean, why else would they keep drawing back to these flashbacks? Or, again, they were almost horrific. They were almost horrific, um, I don't know, yet beautifully... You just have to see the movie. Just watch the damn movie. And, these, and, these very Bugsby Berkeley then, type of ballet, water ballet type things. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost kind of like it was meant to be beautiful. And then you see their faces and they're almost done up like um, as if they're in like a Marilyn Manson video. Mm-hmm. And, and, like the beautiful and the macabre. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the giveaways, too, is when um, Alice steals Margaret's file out of the doctor's... Um, briefcase and she opens it up to read it and everything is redacted there's nothing there it's all just black lines there's a theory uh a working study that basically states that in our dreams we can't actually read anything so even if you in your dream if you're trying to read a book in your dream um the words don't make sense it's just a blur uh you can't write anything in your dream or at least you you may be writing but the words don't make sense it's the the concept of the written language apparently doesn't exist in the dream state which is why everything is redacted in this fascinating but it does make me wonder if there's some significance to the doctor as well in alice's reality where she works in yeah because she works in a hospital and is it not the same actor who was the doctor who I is don't, maybe a surgeon i don't think it i don't know if it is or not i have a feeling the doctor is actually an employee of victory much like i think um uh frank is like i think frank is basically the guy who created the program and kind of runs the program from inside the program um and i think basically his wife as played by Gemma uh Gemma chan shelly um was the first for lack of a better term, victim of the program, uh, you know, the first, you know, quote unquote, voluntold to be put in. So I have a feeling the doctor is actually on the victory payroll and he's in the virtual world, much like a, a safeguard uh, for the program and for the people in the program. I do wonder when Alice tried to kill herself what if she had succeeded? And furthermore, well, no, she, what happened? She didn't try to kill herself. Margaret tried to kill herself. Hmm? Oh, no, there, there was the point, too, where no, no, Alice no, wrapped, she, wrapped the cellophane around her head kind of she thing. She also tried to drown herself. Mm-hmm. However, when she killed Jack in victory... So this this is so that this real? Is, this is one of those weird plot holes here, and, and, I, and I need to point this out. So apparently... Women can't die in victory, but the men can. So, you know, in surrogates, if, if we're using that as as an as a comparable as well, the th- the reason why Bruce Willis's cop character was on the case of like this weapon is that if you, if your surrogate is is 
hit with this one weapon, it sends a neural link back to the actual user in their bed uh, or in their in their connection bay, and it actually fries them out from there. Like normally, if you're linked to a surrogate, you can throw that surrogate off the uh, you know the roof of the Empire State Building, uh, have the surrogate crash, experience the fall, and then just take you know disconnect from yourself. Nothing, nothing happens. But this weapon has the ability to send that that reverse neural link back to the user and kill them, which is why Bruce Willis is is investigating it. Here, the logic is that the men can't die, but the women can. But it's never explained beyond that, and that's a big loophole here. Like, why? Why can't the women die in this? Yeah. So then. Um the neighbor, uh, did you call her Margaret? Margaret. No, Margaret. Um, was she actually dead or did she just, because we didn't see her after well, if the wim- she fell off the roof. If the-, the women can't die, then the guys in the red suits coming in uh, is basically her being disconnected from the server. So she's not dead. She's just offline. Removed. Okay. Exactly. Hmm. At, at least that's the working theory because we do never see from her again so i wonder if her killing herself quote-unquote in victory was in her mind the way she was able to disconnect or at least get offline you know maybe she was having enough flashbacks to realize what the real world actually was for her and that victory wasn't it to the same token as well when alice goes out into the desert and finds the building that's on top of the uh the mountain and she touches the the glass this is like that alice you know alice through the looking glass thing as a way to you know like finding an exit portal in a game in a video game to go on to the next level so there, there's a lot that you have to sit there and infer from it and you have to put a little bit of video game logic into it i guess it works really well if you watched westworld or some of these other films and now it sounds like you're comparing free guy there, there is a little bit of that, yes. Uh, you know, obviously a, a lot more fun. But I mean, you know, Guy is a virtual character, doesn't really exist. Everyone in Victory actually exists just in a virtual state. So again, similar to Westworld, but very much uh, like... Um, not keys. Well, even keys, right? When he logs in, he's basically his avatar. So it's similar to that where, you know, you can be booted out, you can do all this kind of stuff, but it doesn't really affect you as a person, he, for, even though he's a guy, right? So there's, you know, and, and Molotov girl, right? She logs in, it's her avatar that she's controlling, um, but she's doing it willfully as opposed to here in victory. <laughs> there's so many comparables. <laughs> right. And when you start to draw those comparables, it, it, the movie does make a bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out. 
because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But let's move on and get into the rest of the cast here. I'm I'm so glad we tackled this before we tackle the rest of the cast because it's going to make a lot of their characters make a lot more sense. Um, but I, before we do I move on, though, I do have to say, so a lot of the talk during the, the press campaign of this film was about the sex, right? There's, yeah. There's not a lot of it, though. Okay, but the scenes were excessively difficult to watch really i I, think so i'm now curious as to why you say that i was like you know what really like i i don't know maybe it's just like allude to it and then move on but don't like don't stay there and (laughs) you know it it overstayed its welcome for mo for at least one scene that's you know burned into my brain i'm like okay you know really okay let's let's be blunt here move on there are two sex scenes in this okay there's one where jack comes home and basically goes down on alice and then there's the second one where jack and alice have sex in frank's house and frank walks in on it and just watches which Which is creepy af it's creepy af but it does allude to a bit more of the unrealness of what's going on around them but i'm curious which one it was that um that that kind of eked you out it was it was the dinner table scene i'm like you know what just okay right we're good move on i'm okay i'm gonna hypothesize something here and again i'm not olivia wilde i'm not the one directing this i didn't write the script so i'm i'm basically giving you my take on this whole thing at least as far as my understanding of the film goes from what we've watched so if jack puts alice into victory because he feels for lack of a better term emasculated right he feels like he's he's weak he feels like he's unable to do the things that he's supposed to do for Alice. And in his own mind, the, the roles are almost reversed, right? 
And we know that Alice is, you know, by the time she comes home from a 30 hour shift, she's too tired for sex, right? So if Jack is not feeling, you know, good enough to be able to please his wife in this virtual world, her, her pleasure is his strength. Okay. I, you know what? I, I agree with that. I mean, I have questions as well. Why, for the, the second scene, why was Jack getting dressed in Frank's bedroom? To begin with, that that, that one I'm not going to watch. I have a feeling <laughs> they and, never addressed it. And then again, I'm just again I'm just hypothesizing here because I I don't know if he was trying on one of Frank's ties, if he was trying to because everyone, all the men seem to want to be like Frank, right? And they idolize him. They worship the power that he seemingly has, right? Shelly is a very doting and um, submissive wife, like the, almost like the, the 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 leave it to Beaver era type kind of personality. Until, of course, you know the end of the film, which mm. you know you can watch <laughs> that. But you know, it's a very fifties relationship that they portray. Right. And he's supposedly like the CEO of Victory, the company that they all work for kind of thing. Um, so they all worship him as this pinnacle of manness. Right. So if he's there trying on one of his ties, it's almost like he's trying to get into those shoes. So to have sex with with Alice in that house, again, it's more of a it's a power place. Him trying to feel like the man. So it just goes to show how weak Jack is in that sense. And again, I could be wrong. I could just be blowing smoke up my ass. But this is at least my interpretation of the film as I saw it. Well, I think I think as far as like the elitism or the status of um, both Shelley. Is it Shelley? Shelley and Frank. Which Shelley and Frank. Which if you think about it. Frank being short for Frankenstein. Mary Shelley is the creator of Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Wow, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> you just literally like completely like, I don't know, went like a, a strange turn. Yeah. U-turn. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, but even Shelly was very well revered. You well, know, like well, of she course, walks into the room. Well, because to the man. She walks into the room and all the women are like standing to attention. Yeah. And hanging on for every word. It's like. You know, and she's the one who's teaching the ballet class. So I have a feeling that Shelley is is very much in you know in line with Victory, but you know willingly but not willingly. Maybe we don't know because we don't know what. That's the other thing too. We know what Alice is like in the real world. We don't, and we we have an inkling of why Bunny is there, but everyone else, everyone else is a mystery as to as to what they're really like in the real world again i think there's something symbolic with the ballet um i don't know it's interesting i i would be curious to do a deep dive with with the writers and to figure that out is it based on a book uh no it's it's a it's a script that was that actually made the 2019 blacklist of course the blacklist being the 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 scripts that were never picked up in that year, but deemed the best of the ones that were never bought. So it was out there 
and producers and directors knew that it was out there. It just hadn't been picked up that year. Hmm. So, you know, once a script is on the blacklist, it doesn't take long for it to get picked up, at least optioned out anyways. But let's move on, though. Harry Styles as Jack. So, in essence, the villain of this, how was he for you? You know, it's interesting that you call him a villain because I don't know if I would villainize him. I mean, he's certainly, okay, I mean, he's totally to blame that Alice and and he are there. Against Um, her will, no less. Right. But is he a villain or is it Frank that's the villain? Frank, I think, is just the conduit. That that would be like asking if, you know, let's go back to that first Michael Keaton Batman film, right? Um to claim that Frank is the villain as opposed to Jack would be like saying that the gun is the villain as opposed to the Joker. See, but I don't, I don't look at him as a villain per se. I like, he's not, he's, he's definitely not, he, he, I think he's doing it with good intentions, but he's not a, bad guy he's not like trying he's not like a serial killer or anything he's just you know he's just a husband that again maybe this is his last ditch attempt to to feel like something right yeah and the other thing is too like when you take a look at their apartment it's you know it's not a good apartment in the real world it's like run down i don't i don't know how much he's actually working because you know he looks like me after five days of no sleep it's you know you have to think that he feels for lack of a better term less of a man right he's completely in the wrong for putting her into victory against against her will. You're right, but I don't know if I would call him a villain. No, he's he's weak. He is doing things he's doing the wrong things for what he thinks are the right reasons, but in, in essence they're actually he's selfish is what he is, right? He doesn't feel like he's in any control. He feels he doesn't feel a part of her world, so he's going to make her part of his world, the world that he wants to create. That's utterly selfish. So, in essence, Jack is very much a... Yeah, I think you're right. I think villain is not the right word, but definitely the antagonist in this. Fair enough. But that being said, I am so happy they cast Harry Styles and not Shia LaBeouf. Oh my God, yeah. Like, I, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm not the biggest Shia LaBeouf fan when it comes to his acting. <laughs> like, and we saw what Shia LaBeouf would would be like in that era because we all remember Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Nomas. Thank you kindly. Um, I just think that Shia LaBeouf in that '50s role wouldn't fit the mold of this of the movie itself no and let's be honest he needed to have that handsome like harry styles nailed it oh yeah and he, he I brought had, the dapper yeah i had no freaking idea when i saw 
um, Jack in the really real world, I had no idea that was him. Yeah, he he went from looking like Dapper Dan in the 50s to like Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne in the Batman. Yeah, it was. There, There's another guy that would have done really well in that role, Robert Pattinson. And, I could see that. And that's nothing against Harry Styles. I think he was actually the perfect choice for that role. Uh, he and Florence Pugh played off each other really, really well throughout the entire film, whether it be in the real world or in Victory. Do you know what it was that got me, though, about Harry Styles? I had no freaking idea because he didn't really have any lines until like until Florence Pugh starts or Alice starts um, to really lose it. And then he kind of like pleads that, you know, he he needs this job and he needs her to, you know, kind of just fall in line. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he like it's almost kind of like. And you know what it was? It was his voice because he really hadn't said much in the entire movie until that point. And I was like, oh, I really like his voice. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it was at that point I'm like, that's Harry Styles. Like, honest to God, it didn't clue in until that moment when he started to speak until he finally had a line and this is now like an hour and a half into the movie <laughs> i just find it funny that you've got uh florence Pugh, who of course is yelena belova in the marvel movies now you got harry styles who's adam warlock in the marvel movies you got Gemma chan who is in captain marvel you got chris pine who was in the wonder woman movies also captain freaking james t kirk and then you've got Olivia Wilde, who was Korra in Tron Legacy. You got a whole lot of sci-fi geekery going on in this film. So, you know, kudos to that. Um, but let's talk about Olivia Wilde, who, of course, played Bunny as well as directed the film. Uh, how was she for you? You know what? She was great, but I think I was kind of maybe expecting... I mean, I absolutely loved at the end where she had Alice's back 150 percent mm-hmm. um but I think I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more more from her you know maybe like she has had episodes along the way that something didn't quite add up or you know just something where you you knew like watching it that she would kind of have that turnaround in the end as well mm-hmm. and and that's the thing like once you realize her motivation for being there everything up to that point makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. like when alice confides that she went into the desert and she went up to headquarters and all this stuff and she and and bunny freaks out and walks out on her bunny knows what's going on she knows the score she put herself there which is why she's quite happy to live in victory and live that life. So anything that threatens the stability of victory and the stability of this safety net that's holding Bunny upright, of course she's going to lash out at. It makes total sense, the motivation. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where it also became very WandaVision because, you know, Wanda was very much motivated by her children. Um. So, yeah. Well, even, even too, when, uh, you know, when Pietro comes in and, you know, all of a sudden, like, oh, my crap, my brother's here. 
right? And he starts questioning her on things. Um, like there's a lot in WandaVision that, yeah, you can almost direct, you know, parallel this movie to that and, and points in that and do a very, very good case study. Like WandaVision wasn't even on my radar as far as comparables go. So you nailed that one. Let's talk about Chris Pine as Frank in this. Your thoughts. Creepy. He was just creepy. Every scene that he was in, I was like, man, like there's something. <laughs> there, like as far as like to play a commanding um, creator or he was very much almost like like a god to these people like literally you have like the women fawning over him you've got the men that again are like yes man you know like completely in awe and he was just so freaking creepy i think too one of the things you have to remember is that you know olivia Watt had mentioned that in casting the character for frank one of the templates that she that she envisioned frank as being was based on jordan peterson who is a very controversial figure and i'm, I'm not going to go too much into why he's controversial because i don't really want to go down that road for the record jordan peterson's response upon hearing this was something about quote-unquote woke liberal hollywood yada 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 so that just gives you every single mindset of why I don't want to go down that road because whatever we're not here to be a political podcast we're here to talk about movies that were poorly rated by critics but I think Chris Pine you know when I think about the movies that he's in right Captain James D. Kirk you know he Steve Trevor in the Wonder Woman movies um, I'm so looking forward to watching Dungeons and Dragons when I finally get a chance to because he looks like he's just having so much fun in that film but you're right. He is creepy as hell in this movie. Um, but it's 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 a, a domineering kind of creepy. You know, it's it's almost like an overlord kind of creepy, like a puppet master kind of creepy. Very much a puppet master. And that's where I was going with the dance scene where he promoted Jack. Mm-hmm. And then Jack did this dance number. And I'm like... Okay, wow. Like, yeah. He is very much the puppet master. But but that's the thing. Dance, monkey, dance. He, he's their god, in base, for lack of a better term, right? He's their, he's their deity. He's, yeah. You know, he's this alpha male and all these other men who in their lives feel enfeebled to begin with look up to this, this for lack of a better term, paragon of manhood and they'll, and they'll dance and they'll jump around and they'll act the fool if he asks for it so while you have a film that that is you know in one hand about uh control of of women and their um their independence you also have the alpha male control over those who feel less than them there are enough people out there in the world who try to prop themselves up as being you know better than everyone else and i am the paragon and i am the alpha and you have all these people who feel bad about themselves following their lead and doing whatever that they say so they can feel closer to 
this ideal version. It's almost like a cult I at was, that point. I was going to say, isn't that what like Charles Manson did in a sense that he had like, uh, he had a cult. He had like a, yeah. a house. They had the Manson family. Yeah. Like, you know, in, in, followers, in situations yeah. like that, you know, women wanted to be with him and men wanted to be him. In this case, men want to be Frank and, you know, women be damned in that case, right? They're, they're going to, they want to achieve that level, right? It's a, it's, it's the Instagram lifestyle that they want to be. It preys on the weak male. It is creepy though. It is very, very creepy. And I think Chris Pine to his credit played it perfectly, right? Dashing, handsome, right? Um, well poised, but always with this edge to him. Oh, yeah. Like he could snap at any minute. Mm-hmm. One scene that really threw me, though, was the bedroom scene in Frank's bedroom. First mm-hmm. of all, I didn't know that was Jack. It, he looked different. And I wonder if they did that on purpose to kind of make you think that Alice was unfaithful. And then Jack is watching. Like no, Frank was, is watching. Sorry. No. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot the names. <laughs> Frank is watching Jack and Alice. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Frank is watching this like, yep, you are proof that my plan works. So, but then at the dinner scene where Frank was alluding that Alice was unfaithful, yet so, so in, it was Jack. Yeah. So in this essence... You know, Frank is on to Alice and how Alice is questioning the reality of victory, right? Which is why he's almost goading her into going too far. He's he's basically like, I want to see how, you know, I want to see what uh, what you do next, right? He's poking the bear, right? He's poking the bear to try to get an overreaction from Alice. And then when Alice does get a little frantic about it and start to throw out these you know, for lack of a better term, conspiracy theories that she has about what's going on, no matter how close she might be, he's then sitting there going, well, she's just a, you know, a, a hype, you know, she's just being shrill. She's just being um, unstable, if you will, right? She, He is downplaying her suspicions, even though he knows that she's on to, that, that there's something wrong. She may not know exactly what it is, but he got her to overreact so then he could say, well, she, she's just being manic. She's just being a, a woman. He right? was totally gaslighting her, it's, I realized. Absolutely, but, yes. But again, was he not alluding that she was unfaithful, yet it was indeed Jack? But, that- at, but at that point, right, Jack knows that the world isn't real. So anything that happens in that world, it's not like she was actually unfaithful to him she's still lying in a bed beside him with these neural things connected to her head Ah. right so okay but with that said it was jack's character in the bedroom or somebody else it was jack in the bedroom yes because remember she came in he was trying on the tie you know because why else she would have fought back if it was somebody else but he looked different. He did. And I think that's because at that. And again, I'm just hypothesizing the the rationale behind it. In that moment, 
Jack is showing his weakness, his his beta male to Frank's alpha, right? So it's almost like the vision of him is back to what the real world actually is until he dominates again and and you know be, tries to become the alpha and then afterwards becomes again. It was very confusing. Mm-hmm. That part completely lost me, especially. Oh, oh, this film is so many watches away from actually understanding it, I think. (laughs) Uh, But let's talk about Gemma Chan, who played Shelly, Frank's wife. Like, how was she for you? She was great. Mm -hmm. She was absolutely commanding. And she was, I mean, even from, even from the ballet um, scene in the beginning, to be honest, I didn't even know she was Frank's wife until, truly until the dinner and I was like, holy crap, they're married. Okay, great. Now, oh, now it makes more sense, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think the scene that really sold it for me, for her, uh, was at the end where she, you know, Jack's on the phone with Frank and explained that Alice is, you know, trying to, to get away and, you know, he's starting to freak out a little bit. And she literally just comes up and stabs him. Mm-hmm. Cold. Mm-hmm. Emotionless. It's business. Right? Like, well, especially since the women can't die and the men do. Which, uh, plot She's hole. like, this is going to end. <laughs> She's like, this is going to end this now. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like she couldn't even believe she did what she did. At that moment, it, it's like she probably thought about it a number of times. And when the moment actually happens, she's almost surprised by her her own, not sh- not shocked, not like, oh, my God, I absolutely. No, like it's the. All right. OK. What next? <laughs> now what? <laughs> it, it pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, how are I, we going to get out of here? <laughs> I, I, I think it's the perfect underreaction to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Kiki Lane, who played Margaret, the 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 woman who really starts mm-hmm. to figure it before Alice starts to. And again, I absolutely, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of her, but I think what they showed was perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I mean. Nothing, it's such a sad story, though. It's nothing against Dakota Johnson, who apparently was was originally picked for this role, because uh, I do think Dakota Johnson is a very, very good actress. But I think Kiki Lane slayed in this role. Like, mm-hmm. I think the, you know, the thousand yard stare that she's got when she's, you know, like pushing away the pills and, you know, just when she's standing on the roof and staring at Alice, like... Like this is this is the way out. This is you know. those had to be like contacts. Like she had crazy eyes. I don't I don't know if it was contacts or not, but she she hit that thousand yard stare like perfectly. Like mm-hmm. the the shock and the realization and almost as if you know when you realize that they're asleep, basically, you know she has that walking in a in a daydream kind of feel about her. Like it's. It's it's perfect for the role. Like she, like the movie benefited from Kiki Lane being in this. I loved her lines too. She's like, "I'm not fine." Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Much like all of us watching this film, we're not fine. Uh, <laughs> Timothy Simmons, who played Doctor Collins. Yeah, you know, especially the scene where he's he he does the house call for Alice. Um, I mean. He was so good, but it was like there is something just not right yeah. about him, and he he just 
he leaves his briefcase like he didn't return for it like really it's plot hole that that definitely well i mean he had to leave you know know, the script wise he had to leave it so she could find the the file and realize that she couldn't read it but i have a feeling too it's one of those things where you know he's i think almost dismissive of you know the the foibles of everyone else that's around like keep in mind if if he is actually a victory employee if he is frank's for lack of a better term right hand man he probably has the same opinion of the people in victory as frank probably does so he is like and again i i am just hypothesizing here he probably feels that everyone is beneath him because he's number two to frank i can see that yeah yeah um, I, w- I will say, too, once you realize kind of what's going on, it makes sense as to why people kind of show up and don't show up, in, in, you know, randomly. Like uh, Violet, as played by Sidney Chandler, you know, the new girl, right, with the, with the pixie cut. Mm-hmm. You know, if these are new people added to the server of Victory, it makes sense why they're introduced that way. Like, these are new people to the town, you know, the new company thing. Like, there's a lot of questions where you can sit there and say, okay, well, there's all these rumblings and and earthquake type things that are happening in victory and one might consider that well they're near california but when you also consider that um the apartment that they're at is probably in like a you know a, a very cheap rental area which means they're probably near a train or something like that so it's possible that the rumbling is actually the outside world probably shaking the apartment at the same time. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that because they kind of seem to live in the middle of the desert. Like they were all in this alcove mm-hmm. with this rounded street and all the men left in their Cadillacs and drove out to the desert. Right, but but to the same token as well, if they're the ones that put their wives in and they're the ones that go off to work, quote unquote, then they have the ability to jump in and out of the server, whereas the women are kind of stuck there. What was the significance of the plane crash? And do you think that maybe the plane had something to do with the rumbling? I think the plane, I don't think the plane had anything to do with the rumbling, but I think the plane was a way to point towards where the exit is. And again, this is literally just me hypothesizing and from things that I've read on you know Wikipedia and, and other websites kind of thing. So there's a lot of symbolism in this that you have to sit there and try to almost shoehorn in an explanation. Like the whole scene where um, Alice is wiping the, the, the window with the newspaper and then the wall starts closing in and she's stuck in between the window and the... Uh, like, I don't know why that scene's there if for anything other than a cool visual. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, it was very, very cool. it was almost like that her world is suffocating her or her perfect life or perfect house Yeah, um, was suffocating her. And the fact that she was constantly cleaning this one spot, maybe it had happened before where her face... I would be was curious against the window. I would be curious to go back, watch that scene, and try to freeze frame it so you could read what was in the newspaper at the time. I'm curious if there was anything there. I, I in all honesty, I didn't actually 
pay attention close enough. All I, all I knew was that it was newspaper that she was cleaning the windows with. So that made it a bit more surreal. I think that's one of the criticisms you could put on this film in that there's a lot of really cool, you know, imagery and cinematography that went into this that you have to go back and watch it a few times to try to find a way, a reason for those shots to be there. Mm hmm. Which is exactly why I wanted to give it a third watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth a couple watches. It's kind of like, and and I know I've made this comparison on this show a couple times already, but I'm going to do it again, so suck it up. Um, Event Horizon. Uh, I remember watching that movie thinking it was going to be this really, really cool sci-fi film, and I watch it like three quarters of the way through. I'm like, yeah, this is a really cool sci-fi film. And then it turns into some weird... Um, satanic horror film with entrails being spilled all over the place. And when you realize that it's a horror film that just happens to be set in space, it gives you the, the, the better mindset to watch the whole film. And a lot of it makes more sense. Once you realize what victory actually is, the town, a lot of it makes a lot more sense. It's, it's, it's a two watcher. It's, it's like that album that grows on you. Mm-hmm. Very much. Before we get to our MVPs, uh, Twitter did speak out on this one. The We Needed Roads podcast chimed in with, it started really well and the pew was awesome. Styles was okay, but the setup was better than the payoff, sadly. So I'm going to, I'm going to, throw this at you and by the way thank you to the to the we needed roads podcast you can find them at on twitter at needed roads um i'm gonna ask you was the payoff worth the setup oh my god yes yeah it's definitely again watch it the first time and you'll be like what the is this and then you get to the end and then you want to watch it again to see what you've missed along the way and then watch it a third time just to kind of get again those little nuances mm-hmm. like the like almost like the hidden gems in this movie yeah now we did talk about a lot of serious topics in this in this episode just recognize that we are talking about a 2 hour work of fiction right we are talking about the actors we are talking about their performances in all honesty like i know there's a lot of drama that that went on with the making of this film i could give two what goes on in the personal lives of the actors when it comes to us looking at these films i know me personally i'm just looking at the film and the performance in the film and the the drama or you know behind the scenes doesn't affect the film at all for me knowing now everything that went on does it affect the way you watch this film not at all no because um i mean again it's it's a movie yeah fictional characters however i would be fascinated to see if there's even a book adapted from screen you know just because i think that there there are so many things that i mean this would make an amazing novelization oh absolutely like and i i really think it would be 
the case where the book is better than the movie. And not that the movie's not great. It's it's a really I really enjoyed the movie. The on the on the second watch. Right. <laughs> the first one I was like this is too much. I'm going to put my brain to bed and close my eyes and go to sleep now. (laughs) I admit I can usually hold my own and stay awake during the movies that I'm, I'm researching. Not generally. I generally have movie narcolepsy, but in this case, (laughs) in this case, I I fell asleep. I got to admit, I, I, what I woke up the next day and I'm like, so <laughs> how was it? <laughs> and, and my response to that, of course, was like, you know, it was good. It was good. And then the twist happened and it got really interesting. And that's when you had to sit there and go, okay, I'll watch it a second time. And I would get these text messages like, what the f- is going on? I, I'm not I'm not high enough for this movie. <laughs> yeah, true, true text. Right. Oh, oh god. Like I, I almost feel like we need like a Twitter thread of texts that Carrie sends me on the rewatch of the movies that we're about to re- record on here. Oh, that'd be fun to add. Yeah, <laughs> screen caps of my texts. Okay, you can no longer hide from this question. So, Carrie, bring it on, my darling. I'm ready. Don't worry. Oh crap. <laughs> Who is this your MV- end well. Who is your MVP of Don't Worry Darling? Florence Pugh. The Pugh. Hands down. Yep. I agree. Wholeheartedly. And the thing is, they this film lives and dies by how good Alice is. She's so great. Yeah. Florence Pugh, like absolutely phenomenal performance in this. Why do you suppose she didn't want to do press for it? I th- Is there a reason? Well, in some of those messages and text messages kind of thing where uh, Olivia Wilde was trying to get Shia LaBeouf back onto the movie kind of thing, apparently there was like conflict behind the scenes because, you know, Florence Pugh felt disrespected by Olivia Wilde from some of the things that are said. And like, if you go through like like something about like Florence Pugh needing to suck it up or something like that and like it's it's unfortunate because it feels kind of catty when you hear about you know some of the the text messages and the, the, and the videos that came out and and I and I do I, I feel bad because if some of the press or a lot of the press during the initial um during the initial initial junkets we're all talking about the amount of sex in this film uh, again we're talking two sex scenes in this and it's it's i think it's completely overblown i i appreciate that florence Pugh is very much an actor of the moment right she's in high demand Right, she slayed it as Yelena Belova. She was wonderful in Hawkeye, playing against um, uh, Haley Steinfeld. Um, Midsommar was was good, but you know, I, I'm from what I've seen. I haven't watched the whole thing, but from what I've seen, she's good. But the movies, in eh, kind of thing. Um, she killed it in uh, Fighting with My Family, playing uh, the the real life story of Paige from WWE. Um, the, she's done a lot of really, really good films. I think she was in Glass Onion, if, if memory serves. She's in high demand. Harry Styles is one of the biggest, you know, singers out there right now touring. And you have these actors of the moment 
right? Like the hottest thing right now on the marquee and they're in a movie where there's a sex scene. And th- there's no nudity, right? This, is, this isn't like Alyssa Milano deciding to do Embrace of the Vampire. Um, this is, you know, it's two sex scenes. And they're ve- really, from a rating perspective, they're very tame. You know what I think it was, though, is the more sexualization of women, period, in this movie. I think it it stems from the first scene where all the women are dancing, trying to balance the the platter with the, with the drink, and you know, and then the guys are like, "Take off your shirts," you know, and it's just like, and and the whole concept of the women waiting at home with you know a um, a canter of of whiskey or whatever drink and a pretty dress and a you know like the minute the man gets home it's this out there's it's this out outdated yeah um misogynistic view of what the perfect woman should be and i can see people pushing it pushing back against that but the thing is you have to recognize that that's the driving factor behind the the idea of victory and once you realize that the people who have those opinions and the reason why they're putting their their wives into victory once you realize that they're the ones in the wrong it goes to show that 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 misogynistic view is wrong the people the villains doing the thing make the thing wrong because it's done by the villains Stop calling Jack a villain. He's not a villain. He's just... Tell that to the MTV Movie Awards. He's a sad, lonely man. (laughs) (laughs) Not an MVP. I'm saying he's not a... He's a pathetic villain. (laughs) Really. (laughs) He's he's a victim of his own lack of self-worth. And thereby causing him to do villain-esque things and i i say villain in the antagonist sense of the story not opposed to not as opposed to you know he's not going out robbing banks he's just you know making his wife comatose and putting her in a world she doesn't want to be in yeah when you put it that way (laughs) kind of villain (laughs) but carrie darling Thank you for joining me on this episode. Now, to you, our darling listeners. Yeah, I'm going down that road. You guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there's no way in victory that we can find anything good to say about it. Yeah, you see what I did there. Hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast or go to our website at NotThatBadCast.com. And while you're there, check out our Coming Soon page so you can see some of the movies that we are preparing to talk about. Please, surrogates, please. Um, Until next time, Carrie, lovely as always. Listeners, yeah, you're pretty lovely too. You're awesome. I'm Jay. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 